morning we are in Matthew 4, 18 uh, through 25. Matthew 4, 18 through 25. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew and how you've been been showing us Christ. You've been showing us who you are, Lord Jesus, throughout it. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would... Uh, Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law this morning. I pray, Spirit, that you would give me clarity, but give us all hearts to learn and to listen. Help us to obey. Help us to not merely stand in awe of who you are, as necessary as that is, and we do want that, to stand in awe of who you are, but then help us to respond rightly with obedient lives. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time in your word this morning. Thank you for it. Thank you for this time of gathering. Your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing on in our walk through Matthew. But what started to happen, we've seen in chapters one through four, we've seen uh, really all of those chapters have been about Jesus and about his identity, who he is. We've seen him as the ultimate Davidic king. We've seen him as the one who's going to fulfill that promise to David and his offspring to reign over the throne of Israel and really over the whole world. We've seen him presented that way. We've seen him as the ultimate son of God, the ultimate king and priest. We've seen him as the one who's going to rescue his people from the darkness of exile. We've seen that. We've seen him as the one who's going to fulfill all righteousness, who's going to deliver his people from their sins. So we've seen this presentation. He has the credentials. We've seen his genealogy. We've seen his uh, movements, even God sovereignly ordaining the movements in his life and showing who he is. We've seen him fulfill scripture after scripture and showing him to be who he is. But now there's a transition, and we've started to see that transition even last week, where Jesus uh, took on and took over this uh, this uh, tra- the John the Baptist ministry in moving uh, and calling people to repentance. So we've seen him do that. We saw 417 last week where the summary form of his message is 
repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've seen him do this, and now what we're going to see is this week he's going to start to gather followers around him. He's going to start gathering followers around him. And as we gather followers, really there's a question that Matthew is presenting to his readers as he walks us through this narrative. Everything that's happened has hap- uh, historically happened in the gospel, but now what Matthew is doing uh, with us, he's playing tour guide and he's leading us, and he is essentially asking us a question. He's asked it implicitly before, but now it becomes more explicit. How do you respond to Jesus' identity? He's presented it in these first four chapters, but now the question is, how do you respond to Jesus' identity? And that leads us to the main idea for this morning, where Matthew is going and what we need. It's this, obey Jesus' call to follow him. He will make you fishers of people for the coming kingdom. That's what we need to see this morning in God's word. That's where Matthew is going. The central idea of these verses we just read, obey Jesus' call to follow him, and he will make you fishers of people for the coming kingdom. So let's, we're going to see two components. You probably see them in your Bibles. They're two separate paragraphs, but they have this linked idea But first, what we're going to see is that Jesus calls fishers of people in verses 18 through 22. And then we've also seen, we're also going to see in verses 23 through 25, Jesus goes fishing with kingdom foretaste. Jesus goes fishing with kingdom foretastes. Well, let's start in verses 18 through 22. Jesus calls fishers of people. Jesus calls fishers of people. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, now let's pause just for a second. Remember last week it said that Jesus moved from the hill country in Nazareth, in the, uh, in Nazareth, and he moved to Capernaum. Now Capernaum, if you think of the Sea of Galilee, all the way to the north, uh, the Capernaum's almost due north on the Sea of Galilee and just a little bit west towards the Mediterranean. But uh, he's moved to Capernaum, he's moved to a sea town, so it seems like he's still there and where this episode takes place. So he's walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers. He sees Simon, who's called Peter, whom we know as the Apostle Peter, eventually the Apostle Peter anyway, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, if you've thought about uh, what did fishing look like on the Sea of Galilee, but it's actually uh, worthwhile to think about it for a minute because Jesus is going to draw an analogy with what they do as fishermen and what they will do as disciples. Uh, There are at least three types of fishing on the Sea of Galilee. The one that these two brothers are, uh, are working at right now is what's known as cast net fishing. Cast net fishing. So what would happen is you could stand on the shore, or maybe you could stand in your boat just right near the shore, and you could see schools of fish, even in the shallows, uh, right near the shore. And so what you would do is you would cast this big old circular net, uh, 15 or so feet in diameter, and it would have these weights around the perimeter of this net, and it would sink, and it would encompass the fish as it sunk. And then maybe you'd have to, depending on the depth, you'd have to dive down, retrieve the net, and so retrieve the fish. That's what, uh, that's what Simon and his brother Andrew are doing right now. There's other types of fishing as well, and we'll mention those uh, as we go, but that's probably what Simon and Andrew are doing. They're casting this net either from the shore or maybe from a boat really in the shallows near the shore within earshot, 
trying to catch fish. It's a fishing town, and that's what they're doing. One thing you have to know about fishing, too, is that, you know, we th- a lot of the people in Israel at this time, there's, there's like the 1% that are really wealthy in Israel, but then everyone else kind of works the land. They're, it's almost a peasant or it's a subsistence existence. But fishermen actually were probably decently uh, a little bit better off than the average population. They're probably what we would know as the lower middle class. So these guys make a good, they're on the Sea of Galilee, they're, they're fishing, they're selling their fish. It was a staple of the diet. And uh, so they're, they're, uh, they're probably decently well off. Uh, not, not the worst, not the best, but doing okay, right? So that's who we see. He sees them at work, doing their business, hauling in the net. Verse 19, and he said to them, follow me, literally come after behind me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, the word for men there, the, the English is trying to draw a pun. Uh, fishermen and fishers of men. Literally, it's just, it's just the idea of people, right? The, these folks are fishing. They're fishing from the shore. And Jesus comes along and sees what they're doing. And he says, come after behind me. And instead of you doing what you're doing and fishing for fish, I'm going to make you fishers of of people. Now, what does that mean, right? He's drawing an analogy with what they're doing. He's drawing some sort of correspondence with what they're doing. Uh, But what does Jesus mean? Well, the context helps us here because we saw last week in, in 417, the summary umbrella message. If you were to sum up all of what Jesus was saying and what he was about in his ministry, it was 417. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn Near. We talked about that last week. We've talked about repentance, turning your allegiance from sin and self to allegiance to God, entrusting yourself to God and to his salvation, acknowledging that you have sin and that you need God to deal with it through his means, and that your allegiance is fully to him. That's what repentance uh, means. And we talked about the kingdom, right? This kingdom, uh, this kingdom idea, we see it throughout Matthew. It's, it's that messianic kingdom that was promised in the Old Testament, that, that David, as God's representative, as his ruler, would oversee not only uh, Israel as a king, but also all the nations. Well, what we said, and we saw this in our series, Kingdom Through Covenant, we, as we walk through the scriptures, the kingdom really is that main thread through the scriptures. And we said that Where God is ultimately going with that is the restoration of all things under his chosen king. That's the knowledge. And what we've seen, though, is that with this kingdom idea, it's the idea that God is going to, with the coming of his kingdom, that's good news if you repent, but otherwise it's a sign of judgment. God's coming and his kingdom and bringing about his kingdom, John the Baptist spoke to this, Jesus is speaking to this, it will mean judgment for those who aren't repentant, and it will mean salvation and rescue for those who are. It's a double-sided thing. So what's the analogy with fishing for people? Well, Jesus has already been fishing for people. You could think of casting the net, so to speak, is casting that message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. That's casting the net. What's a catch? What's a catch of a person or multiple people? Well, a catch would be repentance. 
If someone repents, that's a catch, that's a, that's a fish that's been caught in a good way and has changed from allegiance from sin and self to heading in the direction of allegiance to God and to his way. Now, what's interesting here, right, is that there's, we haven't met Simon or Andrew or these guys before. They're just kind of going about their business, right? These are blue-collar guys. That's what we would call them, right? They're fishermen. They're hard workers. And he, Jesus comes along, and he takes the initiative. This is kind of odd, right? He's, he's really calling them to discipleship, this idea of following uh, a master, uh, was common in that era. What would typically happen would be someone uh, would, would try to seek out a teacher. So a prospective disciple would seek out a teacher and would come to him and seek to be brought on. But here it's the reverse. Here it's the reverse. Jesus takes the initiative and he says, you follow me, drop everything you're doing, follow me and I'm going to bring you in on my mission. I will make you, you're not there yet, but I will make you fishers of people. He doesn't give any other motivation at all. And it's interesting what we see the response in verse 20. It's, a, it's, it's kind of amazing. Look at, look at what happens immediately. Matthew stresses that this happened right away. As soon as he called this, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. That language of following, keep an eye on it because you're going to see it again. You've probably already noticed you've seen it multiple times in this section. They followed him. They, took, uh, they became his disciples. They became learners of him. They, as Jesus has called them, they're participating in this mission of fishers of people. But you should probably be scratching your head a little bit and asking, now, no motivation is stated. Why in the world would these guys just automatically drop everything and follow Jesus? That seems really odd, right? You're, you know, you can imagine whatever work you do. I don't know what it is, right? But uh, you're working, at your, some guy comes in and says, uh, yeah, follow me uh, and participate in what I'm doing right now. Drop it right now and do it. We, would, we wouldn't normally do that. Uh, but here, these guys are dropping their livelihood right there, their nets, and they right then, immediately, follow after Jesus. Why is that? Why does Matthew portray it in that sort of way? If we were to read the Gospel of John, we would actually find out that these guys knew Jesus earlier on than this episode. But Matthew doesn't tell us that nor do we need to know that. In fact, Matthew is consciously, intentionally drawing the abruptness of this, and why? Well, it's because of where we've already been in the gospel. Everything that we've seen of who Jesus is, he is the God-man who's going to dispel the darkness of exile. He is that ultimate Davidic king. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. He is the one to ultimately rescue from exile. He is the one to fulfill all righteousness. He is the one who will rescue his people from their sins. We, as the readers of Matthew, know that. We understand that. And we understand, understanding all of that, even though we don't know all of the disciples' motivations and what they understand, essentially Matthew is putting us in their shoes and he allows us to assess what they did by immediately following Jesus and say, that's the right response. That's the right response to who Jesus is. 
Jesus has all authority. That's what's highlighted here, right? He just speaks this, and they drop everything and follow him. Probably have heard at least Jesus preaching of repentance, and maybe they've even responded in a sort of way to it. But because of Jesus is who he is, because Jesus is who he is, dropping everything and following him in discipleship is the proper response. And we see kind of the same thing over again, starting in verse 21. Going on from there, so he's traveling further along the seashore, evidently. Now he's got two people in tow. He's got Simon and, and Andrew right behind him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And what's going on here, it's, uh, like I said, there's multiple types of fishing. Uh, one other type of fishing that you would have, rather than the cast net fishing that we talked about, another type would be having a big net that you would take out deeper into the Sea of Galilee, and you would even maybe have a couple boats and string a net between it. It would have floats on top, weights at the bottom, and you would kind of drag this net along and scoop up fish. And then you would need crews in each boat to haul the net in. But you would typically do this at night, and then in the morning, the, during the daytime, you would mend your nets, dry them, put them away, and it seems like maybe that's what uh, James and John and Zebedee are doing uh, with their nets. So they're there mending their nets, restoring their nets, and it says this, and he called them. And we're led to understand that that's the, the same thing he issued to the other brothers, follow me and I will make you fishers of people, he's saying again called them. It's just an abbreviated form of that. And we see the same response. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here, whereas before, uh, Simon and Andrew, they dropped their livelihood and went on their way to follow Jesus. Here, what's happening is that not only is livelihood dropped, but also family, but also family. Here you have Zebedee, the father, in the boat. Biblically speaking, the highest priority under, after God, your relationship with God, and is first and foremost, but biblically speaking, after that comes your family. It comes your family. And here, what happens is the response, you drop not only your livelihood, but your family because of who Jesus is. That's what Matthew wants us to see. Because of all of who Jesus is, and we as the readers know that, this is the proper response. This is the proper response to Jesus. This is the proper response to Jesus. The idea of discipleship is, is very prevalent in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to see it again and again and again come up. But here what Matthew is doing in this section is he's starting to build teaching theology of what discipleship is. Now, we use that word discipleship. A disciple is a Christian. A Christian is a disciple. And if you are one who is repentant, if you are one who is repentant, then you're going to follow Christ. And so we learn some things, even from this section, as Jesus is calling these fishers of people, there's several things, at least six, that observations we can make about this for what discipleship is is about. So number one, let me give you some of these things that we can learn just from this episode with these four disciples being called. And let's, let's listen and learn. What can we learn about discipleship? 
One, discipleship is based on Jesus' initiative and calling. Jesus is the one who calls disciples. Jesus is the one who decides uh, who's going to follow him. So we see that here, right? Uh, He sees the brothers. They're minding their own business, doing their own thing, right? He sees them, and he calls them. Two, we see this. At a base level, discipleship entails following behind or after Jesus. Now, li- that's pretty literal here. They're, they leave everything and they fall in. The, the, you know, the military uh, terminology would be fall in behind your leader, right? Uh, that's kind of what's going on here in a literal sense, but it's broader than that. The disciple-master relationship is you're learning from this one. Jesus is the one who's going to make them fishers of men. He's going to teach them what that looks like. So at a base level, discipleship means following wherever Jesus is going you go and follow him. Three, discipleship involves participating in Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission is to gather people, gather repentant people to himself, those who would turn allegiance from sin and self to him ultimately and to God. And as soon as you respond to that, you yourself are put on that same mission of casting the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, and of seeking in compassion, just like Jesus has compassion, people to repent, that would be the catch, and to escape from God's judgment. So discipleship involves participating in Jesus' mission. You're a Christian, you're automatically on mission. Four, discipleship is for ordinary people. These are fishermen. They are not scribes. Uh, scribes were introduced to us earlier in, say, Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men came and Herod uh, calls together the scribes and the chief priests, neither the, the, the learned, so to speak. Now, don't, don't mishear this. Uh, Jewish boys in the first century in Palestine, they would have been educated, well-educated, well-educated in the Old Testament, in the law, in the prophets, in the writings, but beyond that, there were special classes of people like scribes and, uh, and other groups like the Pharisees and Sadducees, people we've already met, and they would add things to, add education to that. But here what Jesus calls, he calls ordinary people. He calls fishermen. He calls blue-collar workers to participate in his mission. This isn't for the elite. There's no separation Uh, of the elite disciple and the regular Christian. A Christian is a disciple, a disciple is a Christian, and they're ordinary folk. Five, discipleship entails Jesus making or training you for what you need to be for his mission. Notice, uh, it struck me as I was looking at this week, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's not that they just automatically enter and they know what to do. Actually, what you're going to see next week, we're going to do an overview of the Sermon on the Mount. You get the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus teaching, and that's for his disciples first and foremost. And then you get a couple extra chapters in chapters eight and nine of miracles. And then in chapter 10, and only in chapter 10, is when Jesus sends out the disciples with the same message to be fishers of people. So you become a disciple of Christ, there's an element of learning, of growing and understanding so that you can be effective in this mission that Jesus is calling you into. 
And six, and we've already kind of talked about this, seen this, discipleship will cost you. It will cost you. Now, it may not cost you in the same sort of way. Biblically, usually we would not recommend someone, oh, uh, you know, to follow Jesus, that means you need to give up your job and it means you give up your family. Now, there's a difference here, right? Because there's this imminence of the kingdom. This is the king right there, and so the kingdom is imminent. It's right there. So it, it is worth uh, dropping everything because the kingdom is so imminent and following him. So you may not be called to give up your family or your livelihood. You may, but here's the point. The point is not sp- the specifics of what they did. The point is the prioritization. There is no higher priority than Jesus and where he leads you. But it's going to cost you. Christianity is costly. It will cost you everything. It will cost you your sin. It will cost you your independence. It will cost you your direction in life. What you're saying when you sign up to be a disciple is that Jesus gets to be boss over my whole life and to direct my whole life wherever he wants me to go. That's what discipleship means, and it will cost you. It will cost you your reputation. It may cost you financially. It may cost in a lot of different ways, but discipleship will cost you. So that's what we see in these first few verses is Jesus calls fishers of people and, uh, and Jesus and Matthew start to tell us what does discipleship look like? What is the Christian life in following Jesus look like? What is some of what is entailed? Now, we don't have everything. We'll have the rest of the Gospel of Matthew to learn more about that, but that's at least some of the things we can learn even from this. Second, we see this as we transition into this other uh, episode here. We see Jesus goes fishing with Kingdom Forte. So he's, he's on mission fishing. He gathers these fishermen. And then essentially what happens in 23 through 25 is he goes fishing. He goes fishing with Kingdom Forte. Now, uh, let's start in verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee. Now, there's a lot of places that are going to be mentioned in this section. So I thought it would be helpful for us to have a map on the screen behind us. Let's see how we do here. There we go. Oh, it's really small. But at least I have something to, to point to. So Galilee, that's that sea, that little body of water up north. And you've got the region of Galilee right around that. So that's where Jesus is. He's way up north, uh, and, and he's going throughout all Galilee. Around the Sea of Galilee is where he is going. Now, what's he doing? What's he doing as he goes throughout all Galilee? Teaching in their synagogues. Now, let's talk about synagogues for a minute. A synagogue, first and foremost, is a group and a gathering of Jewish people. Uh, It can refer to the building itself. It's kind of like what we say when we talk about the church. The church is not the building. This this is not Faith Bible Church, this building. We talk about it sometimes like that, but the church is the people. Well, this is kind of the same way with the synagogue, right? They they would gather together in towns and in regions, and uh, Jewish people would gather, uh, men and women and children, and they would go to synagogue. And what they would hear is they would hear uh, the word read. Uh, they would hear the, the, the law, or the prophets, or the writings read. And then you would have someone who would sit and they would teach. But this was a kind of fluid. It wasn't that they just necessarily had one person that would always do the reading and always do uh, the explaining. And you would often even have uh, itinerant uh, preachers or teachers like Jesus 
who would be able to just walk in on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday, and uh, they would be able to walk in and read, and he would be able to teach, instruct from the Word. And he could even, you see a picture of this in Luke 4, but, but it's a perfect venue for being able to spread his message. His message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. He could even do that as he was teaching the law and the prophets. What else is he doing as he goes throughout all Galilee? Proclaiming the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. Now, what is he talking about? The gospel about the kingdom. Well, we understand what that is. 417, right? What's his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It's at hand. It's near. It hasn't arrived yet. It's imminent. It's imminent. Now, we said that, that that's good news. That's good news. That the kingdom of God, the one that's going to dispel all exile, that's going to dispel all darkness, that is good news as long as you are repentant. We, and that's what he's proclaiming. That's his central message. In summary form, that message is repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Same message as John the Baptist said. And then third, he does this, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This is the first time we see healing and Jesus healing in the Gospels. And it's kind of, it's kind of amazing. That's just, he just kind of says it, right? Matthew just kind of matter-of-factly says is that Jesus is healing every disease and every affliction. So he's up north, all, going through all these cities and, and uh, all around, and he just starts healing people. He starts healing every disease and every affliction. Everything that's brought to him, he just heals. It's done, over lays his hands on him, or whatever means he does, even, he doesn't even have to, we see in the gospel accounts that he doesn't even have to be presently with the person, and he has that level of healing. Now, you might ask the question, why does, why does Matthew bring this up? I mean, why, why aren't we just talking about repentance and all of this? What's the big deal about the healings? And that's a broader question than just, uh, why is he doing it here, but in the gospels as a whole. Why are there healings in the gospel? How does that correspond with Jesus' message? Well, to answer that, one way we could approach that question is actually to go back to the beginning and to go back to the original kingdom. The original kingdom was to be designed with Adam as king, Eve coming along as a helpmate with this kingdom, and that original kingdom had no disease, no affliction, no pain, no demon possession. So what happened? We know because of sin entering the world and because that Satan now has a measure of oversight over the world, that's how disease and suffering and pain and demon possession entered the world. It is true to say that sickness and disease and all of those sorts of things like that, they're only in the world because of sin. Not because, oh, I sinned yesterday and today I've got more aches and pains, not a tit-for-tat sort of way, but we know that the only reason there's sin and disease and sickness in the world is because Adam failed. He, he sought to usurp God's reign and instead essentially transferred that in a way to Satan. 
So what is happening and what you see uh, proclaimed even in gospels like Isaiah is that when that final kingdom comes, when God reclaims everything that's his, there will be no more sickness or pain or disease or sorrow or demon possession or anything under the rule of the ultimate Davidic king. And so this makes sense that the ultimate Davidic king in his presence he, he, he essentially gives uh, trailers of coming attractions, previews of coming attractions. He gives kingdom appetizers. The kingdom's not there yet, but let me give you some foretastes of what this is going to be like. And so the idea of Jesus healing corresponds to his message. It's the tangible side where we can see this and what the kingdom means. And here's the king even as he proclaims this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. They're complementary realities. They're complementary realities. Well, and how, what happens? He's healing every disease and every affliction, even as he's preaching and he's teaching. Verse 24, so his fame, the report of him, spread throughout all Syria. Now back to our map. So remember, Sea of Galilee, and there's Galilee, the region of Galilee around the Sea of Galilee. And then up north, you can kind of see it in maybe red, up way up north, that's Syria. Now, Syria, it's got a lot of Jews, but it probably also has a lot of Gentiles. The news is traveling fast. Why is it traveling fast? Because here's a guy who's actually healing people. He just, he just says it, he just touches people, and it's done. Disease gone. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they, probably from Syria and from these other regions he's about to mention, just a generic they, brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. It's actually uh, the, the language here, the syntax in that verse is a little bit hard. Let me give you another translation just to just hear this and hear these categories. Just think about this. Uh, we read this as if it's uh, just kind of the humdrum because we're just so used to reading it, right? But listen to these categories of things that Jesus is healing. All those being ill with manifold diseases and with severe pains being distressed and demon-possessed and epileptics or, and lame or paralytics. He just heals them. Each and every category of disease that you could think of, it's instant, it's done because of the king. Because he is the ultimate son of God, he is God's ultimate king in the flesh, giving foretastes of that kingdom. It's displaying the glory of Christ and the glory of the coming kingdom. And essentially... What Jesus is doing, if you want to think about it kind of in crass terms, uh, Jesus is baiting people with these healings. He is, he, the people come, and you see it, verse 25, and great crowds followed him from Galilee. Okay, so Sea of Galilee and Galilee, the region of Galilee is around that. The Decapolis, if you can kind of see it on that screen, it's to the south and to the east. The Decapolis was this region of 10 cities, so that's to the south and east. So we got the Decapolis, that would be both Jews and Gentiles, probably. And from Jerusalem, Jerusalem's way down south, so it's just north of the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea is that longer sea in the, uh, the south. We got Jerusalem, the, the spiritual center of Israel. 
and Judea. Judea is that whole region in the south. And from beyond the Jordan. Beyond the Jordan was the east side of the Jordan. So essentially the boundaries of the promised land, the original promised land, doesn't mention Samaria, which is interesting, but essentially the boundaries of the promised land, everyone's floating, flooding in. This is lots of people, right? Uh, Matthew talks about many crowds. Many crowds are hearing all of this. Why are they coming? They're coming because of the healings. That's Jesus' bait in a sort of way, and it's, it's fine, right? He's portraying to them the glories of the kingdom and here's what it looks like. Here's what some of a foretaste of the kingdom looks like. And everyone's flocking in. Everyone's coming in. And he's, as he's doing so, he's not just healing. He is saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Here it is. Here's a foretaste of it. It's drawn near, therefore you must repent. So it's not just healing in and of itself, but it's healing for purpose. Now notice there's particular language here that you need to see that reminds us of something we've seen earlier. Look at verse 25 again. And great crowds, many crowds, followed him. Now, verse 20, back up in the previous section, remember the two brothers, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, Immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. Now here what we see is there's a bunch of healing going on by Jesus, and then we've got these great crowds following Jesus. And so that's intentional, but here's, there's a difference, isn't there? If you think about uh, that language, every time a biblical author in a, you know, in, in a particular episode, he uses similar episodes or similar language, he's asking you to draw a comparison and do a comparison and contrast. Draw a link between those two things and do a comparison and contrast. So what's the comparison and contrast? Well, before, what we saw with the disciples, those whom Jesus called, he took the initiative, he called them, and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They drop everything, there's a cost, they follow him. Here, there's a question mark, isn't there? Because no doubt Jesus is healing, and no doubt he's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is drawn near. But there's a question in our hearts in our minds, is this the same type of following? Is this the same type of discipleship that Jesus was talking about? You see, in the earlier episodes with the, the, four, the two brothers, the two sets of two brothers, there was a cost. There was an immediate cost. Here, yes, crowds have to move on the country to go find Jesus to be healed, but essentially, there's no way to know right now, are they just coming for the healings? Or are they coming for Jesus? Are they coming for Jesus? You see, the two sets of the two brothers, it's Jesus, we, like Matthew framed it, we know it's because of Jesus' authority, Jesus' identity, and what he's doing that draws those disciples. Here we're not sure. These people are flooding in, hopefully, and many do, repent, but it's kind of a mixed crowd. Really what you're going to see in the Gospel of Matthew is you're going to see the crowd behave sort of like a character. Uh, the crowd is going to be mixed. The crowd is going to sometimes have people that are going to follow and sometimes not. It's, it's a character in its own right, and it's introduced here. And what we find out is that the crowd is not necessarily following Jesus in the right sort of way. And it introduces a 
question even here early on, and we're going to see more of that as we go through Matthew. So what's Matthew getting at in this section? He's getting at this idea, obey Jesus' call to follow him, and he will make you fishers of people for the coming kingdom. He's calling, Matthew's calling his audience to make a decision. He's saying, if this is who Jesus is, then you should respond like Simon and Andrew and Peter and John. Their response was right. So we come to some questions, some implications and applications from this text. First, as we think about this text and what we've seen, one thing we should do is we should stand in awe of Christ's power and the foretaste of the kingdom. You do realize that the kingdom that will come down on this earth with Christ as head over it will be a kingdom where there is no disease, death, sorrow, demon possession, anything. And that's amazing. And Christ's power, his ability uh, as king to dispense such things, we should stand in awe of who Christ is. You know, I, I just remind you, application is not always just something we go and do, like I need to go do X, Y, or Z. Key part of application is to stand in awe of our great God and our great Christ. And here's an opportunity to see that him healing, and first and foremost, we should say, this is amazing. This is an amazing king. Second, we could think about this as we think about application and implication this morning. If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, if you're in Christ, and I think, I thank God that it's many of you, evident, but you have to understand that's due to his initiative and not yours. You are in Christ. You won't follow Christ because he called you through the preaching of the gospel and your response, but that was his initiative. And that should bring you great rejoicing, shouldn't it? To think about, I know Christ, I'm following Christ. Not perfectly, but I am. Think of the disciples, we're going to see them flub up a bunch in the future, right? But they're following Christ, and that was due to his initiative. And that, that should bring us to joy and thankfulness. And then along with that, it's the call, right? Obey Jesus' call. You, you know, it's interesting um, we see it in the Gospels. We also hear it in Acts. Acts and uh, Mars Hill. Uh, Paul says, uh, God's appointed a man by which he's going to judge all people. It's the same basic message as what Matthew was talking about. And he commands all people everywhere to repent. This isn't a take it or leave it sort of thing, right? That Jesus commands you to repent. He commands you to repent through the Gospel. And you're either going to be a rebel or you're going to obey. You're either going to be a rebel or you're going to obey. And so obey Jesus' call. And it's just like we've said with that idea of repentance. You, repentance turning allegiance from sin and self to follow Christ, to follow God. And we said that that's not just a one-time thing. That's an ongoing directional change. My allegiance every day is to be directed and focused on Christ. And that corresponds with this idea of obeying Jesus' call. Are you going to follow him today? Are you going to obey Jesus' call today. It will cost you. It will cost you each and every day. But you must obey. Are you going to obey Jesus' call because of who he is? 
And here's another question we could ask along with this. Are you following Christ only for the benefits? You know, there's benefits by, you could show up to church all your life and be here and not follow Christ. And you could partake in a lot of benefits just by being around God's people. But are you following Christ for the benefits, the healings in our passage, or for Christ himself? For Christ himself, for who he is, for Christ himself and his kingdom. Like we said, it's going to cost you. Does following Christ cost you? Does it cost you your independence? Does it cost you your sin? Does it cost you your life direction? It could be a number of different ways. Does following Christ cost you? Or are you only following Christ for the benefits? And then along with that, it puts you on mission, right? Each and every person that Christ calls puts you on mission as a fisher of people. Are you fishers of people? Are you casting the net of the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near? And are you seeing people, are you desiring to see people caught? Are you working to see people repent? And this isn't just an individual thing. We know that God has sovereignly put each one of us as individuals in the spheres of life, places I can't go, places that other people in this congregation can't go, but you're there to be a fisher of people. But it's not just an individual thing, it's a collective thing, right? We work together as a church, we work together as teams for this work of fishing for people. Are we as a church laboring in that direction? How can we labor better in that direction? Who are the people around us as a church? Who are the people around you as an individual? And here's the amazing thing. You, you can, when you present the gospel, you can present the glories of Christ, the foretaste of the kingdom. You're not, you're not going to be able to heal people, but you can sure talk about the Christ who can heal people and who will heal people in the future and you can speak of the glories of the kingdom, but always, always, always present Christ as the central treasure of that kingdom, the ultimate prize. Here's another thing we can kind of learn as we see this. Fishing, I'm not a fisherman. I don't really enjoy to fish, I'm sorry. But fishing, I do know this, it requires patience, you think about these guys, right? These four fishermen, they're casting nets. Oh, did we get anything? No, we didn't get anything. We missed that fish. All right, uh, uh, let's try again, or let's go out again tonight, and let's, let's, it requires patience. And even when you catch, right, you drop your net, and Jesus will talk about this later in the parables, right? You don't keep every fish. There's a lot of junk that gets thrown away that doesn't stick around, right? Fishing requires patience. And the realization that every fish that shows up in your net might not be kept. Ministry is that way. You're going to see it with Jesus' ministry. A lot of the crowds that came to Jesus, they didn't stick around. By the time you get to Acts 1, there's 120 people at the day of Pentecost. Success in ministry, success in fishing for people, is not defined by the number of people showing up, but by how many people are repenting and following Christ and having him as their treasure. That's kind of a comforting thought in a weird way, in the sense that we desire as many people who would respond and make Christ their treasure as possible, and yet we're not surprised when 
people don't follow. We proclaim the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, and yet there's, there's no response. But that's not where success is defined by the numbers. Success is defined by faithfulness. Faithfulness and patience and dependence in fishing. Obey Jesus' call to follow him, and he will make you fishers of people for the coming kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, you need to make us fishers of people. We're not good at it, naturally. and We need to be trained. We need to learn. Uh, Lord, help us to follow you. And Lord, help us to have compassion as you had compassion on people. We thank you for the compassion that you showed us. We thank you that you've called us. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be faithful. Help us even this week. Grant us opportunities to be casting the net of the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. You came near. You were the king who came near, and so the kingdom drew near. Help us to proclaim that. And Lord, we pray that we would call people to repentance, to change their allegiance from sin and self to you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that we would see people change. We know you can do it. It's your initiative. It's your power, Holy Spirit, that does it. You just call us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful. And please do change lives. Change us as individuals. Make us better fishers of people. Make us as a church better fishers of people. And we ask that you would, you would save Thank you for your coming kingdom and the glories of that coming kingdom that will happen. Lord, help us to be patient. Help us to wait. Help us to be faithful in our mission now. Thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.